0: Welcome to the Echocast. I am Bon, and this is a podcast about video game news, speculation, reviews, and whatever else I feel like talking about. This week we'll be talking about Dragon Age and Mass Effect news, a Plague Tale Requiem review, surprising Xbox Game Pass info, and much more. A few things before we get started. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're on Spotify or iTunes, please leave a review on YouTube. Please subscribe to the channel, like the video and comment on your thoughts or just say hello, whatever you feel like. It all helps. A huge thank you to supporter level patrons PK, The Dawn and Caged Nephilim. And a special thanks to producer level patron Hassan. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, please check out patreon.com slash bondiesel or subscribe over at twitch.tv slash bondiesel. Amazon Prime subs are very welcome. Okay, let's jump into the gaming news. As a quick preface, I have um, very slightly adjusted uh, the flow of this podcast. I will talk about it during the content updates uh, part, uh, but you may know this as we go through. First, Dragon Age Dreadwolf enters the alpha stage. So, this was a fairly big announcement this week by um, BioWare and um, EA, where they confirmed that uh, they have entered the alpha stage of development for Dragon Age Dreadwolf. Um, this isn't that surprising over the last few months, over the last year, really, the um, communication about this project. Um, has increased quite a bit and they um, seem like they're trying to kind of uh, turn over a new leaf or whatever you would want to say. Um, I think that EA has been doing a really good job over the um, over, over the last few years uh, of, of really trying to kind of rehabilitate their image um, because they were very Um, you know, for a while there, they were basically hostile to um, single player story games. Um, And it seems like they're getting away from that. Now, obviously, they have these cash cows, like all of their sports games, and like all of um, like Apex Legends and like their live service games like that. And so uh, they're probably relaxing because they have some reliable cash cows uh, and then maybe they feel like they can kind of re-expand into the narrative space. So we had a game uh, like uh, the the Jedi Fallen Order and things like that do extremely well and get reviewed extremely well. But it probably wasn't as profitable as Apex, right? So um, it is encouraging to see them be excited um, to dive back into these more single player things. Um, we have a sequel to Jedi Fallen Order coming called Survivor. Um, we have the new Mass Effect game, which we're going to talk about some stuff with that as well. And we have Dragon Age, Dreadwolf, as well as a bunch of other stuff. Um, so, this entrance into the Alpha Stage um, is a big deal. Uh, I highly suggest you go over and check out Mark Dara's um, video about this. Um, I actually suggested it to him on uh, Twitter and said, Hey, I'd love if you'd make a video about this um, just to get your uh, take. Because the problem is, is that, and it's something he talks about, there is a big, um, there's, there's a big discrepancy in what alpha means to consumers and what it means to Bioware and what it means to uh, EA, right? So um, the consumer, we think of it as like, oh, like, it's like some games let you test ga- uh, in, in the alpha stage without breaking NDAs, I think I can say that like I want to say I tested well, there's games I've tested that aren't out yet, so I can't talk about those. Um Anthem, I'm pretty sure they did uh, a very early test for Anthem and it was about what you would expect. Um I also believe um Ghost Recon Breakpoint, I believe was one of them. Um and again, kind of the same story. But um, th- the thing is, is that those games were probably in the in the beta stage, uh, like in house, like in like in the Ubisoft dialect, they would have probably considered it um, a a beta uh, in, in like its beta stages. Um, but it's you know it's like a trendy thing and. To, You know, for all the game developers and publishers to, like, make players feel like they're letting them in. Uh, Just the same as the beta thing has basically turned into a demo. Um, Very few betas anymore are um, in a state that would really be considered, like, still development. um, And they very rarely um, happen, like, public beta testing with nearly enough time to actually make the changes uh, from the data uh, and, and, and the information they're gonna get. So uh, Mark's video is really good at explaining this, but I'll do my best. Um, so the alpha stage, uh, and it's explained in the big blog that BioWare posted um, on the Dreadwolf uh webpage, but it basically says that the alpha certification or the alpha stage means that the game for all intents and purposes can be played from beginning to end not every mechanic is there um the way mark described it is there's probably a model for everything it's probably not the final model for everything there's probably a shader like all the shaders are in there but they may not be in their final stage um you know if you looked at it it would look bad to the regular consumer but to a game dev who knows how much of that stuff gets wrapped up at the very end uh it's probably not that scary those artists work very quickly uh before a game comes out and so um this is exciting um i won't pretend to be the biggest uh, Dreadwolf fan in the world it's not really you know uh medieval magic games aren't my thing i'm absolutely going to play this though and um, I'm really excited uh, to just follow along. There is the selfish part of me that uh, knows that the sooner Dreadwolf comes out, the sooner they move a bunch of those devs over to full production on Mass Effect. So there's obviously a bias and a selfish uh, intent there, but um, I'm still excited about it. So um, if you're a Dragon Age fan, this is exciting. If you're just a fan of RPGs, or you just kind of want to see where Bioware is at, this is a this is a good uh, chance for that. So yeah. So, so there's um, there's that news Uh, mass effect. Uh, So we had a few things this week. So uh, the main one was uh, yesterday. I'm recording this on Friday. So on Thursday, uh, Mike Gamble uh, quote tweeted with literally just two, like, I think it was like two, like hmm faces you know where it's like the the fingers on the chin like they're thinking um and quote tweeted a video from some space uh, account that showed what it's gonna look like in like five billion years when um the andromeda galaxy and the milky way galaxy run into each other now obviously it's pretty hard not to um glean from that that he's trying to suggest something Um, I will be totally honest and say that uh, it's the sum of all my fears for this next Mass Effect game, Uh, and I think I got a similar feel from uh, Cage Nephilim, who in the questions for this week asked, do you think Mike Gamble's tweet was a hint, troll, or just my fan desperation looking for something that's not there? Um, I would say yes, it's probably all three, right? So if you pay attention to, uh, especially the Mass Effect subreddit, but even Twitter and, and YouTube and stuff like that, um, this this quote tweet set everyone to a stir. All of the Andromeda fans are out there being like, see you idiots, I told you, like they seem pretty sure that this means that Andromeda isn't just going to be like mentioned in the next game, but that he's going to be combining galaxies. Now, obviously this game is not going to take place 5 billion years uh, from now. Um, but it it definitely seems like he's trying to at least somewhat signify, Hey, you know, I'm going to be trying to bring these galaxies together. Um, what does that mean? Obviously we have no idea. I mean, we are only about a week away from N seven day. Um, them making that Dragon Age uh, info drop more than a week before in Seven Day tells me that they may be trying to clear the room a little bit, maybe for some interesting in Seven Day information. We also have um, the Video Game Awards uh, in about a month um and bioware uh back in 2021 uh, or 2020 2020 revealed um a, the original dragon age dreadwolf trailer as well as the reveal of uh, mass effect coming back so um th- we could be in for like a month and a half of updates on bioware stuff whether it's mass effect or dreadwolf i'm going to lean towards more dreadwolf than not but Um, but what does his tweet mean? I I don't know. It's, I know I personally want this next game to be like a sequel to three that takes place, you know, one to 15 years later, that kind of shows where the galaxy is at in its recovery. Um, maybe reveals some more about the Andromeda mission to us and the initiative, uh, the, the mysterious benefactor and, and so on and so forth. Um, I I don't really want, um, I, I I my issue with them including Andromeda in a big way is that mm-hmm. the only ways that my big dumb brain have have thought about how they could do that would mean would require them to do things like send uh, or like magically have like a relay between the two galaxies suddenly. Um, I also hate it because basically that would mean that they're definitely going to do a big time skip um, because say at the end of Andromeda, you discover a place that has technology that maybe that can make a relay back to Andromeda or to uh, Milky Way. Um, That means that the absolute earliest the the game could be set would be five or 600 years later, actually probably six or 700 years later. Um, And Ah, that just feels so unsatisfying um and, and i just don't love it the other idea is that maybe they'll do like a split story where we'll we'll do some stuff in andromeda and then they'll be kind of like a you know going back in time back to the milky way and so they kind of try to tell two stories at once and maybe even at the end try to find a way for them to converge i i don't know um it just gives gives me bad vibes um and people have been expressing their feelings very much so in, in the Mass Effect community. At the end of the day, we don't know what's coming. Maybe we'll get some more insight soon. But we're doing what they want us to do. We're talking about Mass Effect and all these vague tweets, all these little tiny teases. Um, it's, it's doing a great job of getting Mass Effect on the mind, at least of the more hardcore um, players. So good for them. Uh, there was a another tweet um after the Dreadwolf announcement of their alpha um mike gamble did quote tweet that and said hey you know because uh, they mentioned mass effect in that blog and he says hey uh he confirmed for the first time we've seen it like in writing that the next mass effect is a single player game um it seems like he's almost trying to confirm like no um no co-op, no multiplayer of any kind. Um, and while I know some people would like that, I think I'm a big believer in the keep it simple, stupid um, theory uh, for this next game. That's why the whole prospect of Andromeda and all that worries me. Because I think they this next story needs to be a nice, not simple, but just very easy story. right? So... Or, or, or just easy straightforward game to just get everyone back into the universe but we'll see uh the final thing here was today on friday jennifer hale um posted uh, on her instagram um basically saying hey i'm starting a new project uh, i'm super excited and then like hashtag N- N- nda and stuff like that obviously her replies then fill full of mass effect fans getting hyped i i don't know exactly when like bioware does their voice acting i imagine they probably are pretty deep if not done with the script of the game and and the story Um, but they're not even in full production yet i'm under the impression that basically writers are the first to come on and the first to leave and so the whole idea is that by the time you hit production Writers are typically done, which means that voice acting is happening or has been completed. Um, and uh, so maybe <clears throat> maybe she's working on uh, Mass Effect. Uh, maybe we'll see something teased from Mir. Um, we do typically get um, a bunch of podcasts from the whole mass effect voice acting crew around in seven days. So I haven't seen any announcements about that, but I bet we hear something next week. And sometimes, especially last year after they had confirmed the game is coming, uh, I believe the voice actress for, um, uh, uh Liara, uh, like, basically said yes i am in the next game and then basically shut up after that because she's probably under some pretty strict ndas um but they may give us some winks and 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 smiles and stuff about stuff so we'll have to see about that um yeah it's hard to tell what what jennifer hale's working on we hope it's mass effect right but there's also a really good chance she's just working on something because she's in everything um i i i kind of joke that you know, if, if you are playing a video game that has voice acting in it, Jennifer Hale could be the protagonist or could be the ra- the rabbit that says hi when you're walking down the road. Um, it's, it's really hard to tell. She does everything. So so there we go. All right. So uh, next I want to talk about A Plague Tale, uh, a Plague Tale Requiem. Uh, a little bit of a review here. So the way this is going to happen is I'm going to do like a non-spoiler review Um, I'm going to talk about what I liked about the game, but without story details, then I am going to, at the, I'm going to talk about spoilers. I'm going to talk about uh, some big parts of why I like the game so much. What I'm going to do is I'm going to record this podcast. And at the end, I'm going to look at the timestamp or the time code and basically see how long I talk about spoilers. I'm going to record a little snippet to insert in to tell you, Hey, this is future bond, uh, just know that once this clip ends, it's spoilers for so many minutes or something like that, and um, and, and we'll do it like that. So um, there will be spoilers, but I will give you as much warning as I think I possibly can about it. So okay, so a Plague Tale Requiem. So it came out. It has a Metacritic score of eighty-five, which is pretty darn good. Um, what bums me out about the Metacritic score is that I'm almost certain it's probably three or four points lower than it really should be, maybe five, um, because it's it's having issues on um, especially PC. People are, are running into a lot of problems with optimization, and on the PS5 and Series X, it only runs at 30 FPS and 1440p. Um, so I, I think that there are some people... Um, dogging it for that. Um, I've seen some people kind of saying that it feels like too much of the same. Um, I, I, I don't really like the first game. I, I like it. It's a good game. I just couldn't really get into it. So before this game came out, I mostly just watched like story summary videos to know what I was getting into. Um, and in my take on the game, so I started playing it Um, the first like third of it is very, it's a very good game. It it didn't have me like completely enraptured, but I was enjoying it. Um, the actual gameplay is like solid, um, and, and it's fun. It can be a little frustrating at times as well. Um, but, but the story and the characters, the voice acting, the writing, um, I really, really enjoyed it, especially at the, even at the beginning, and then you hit like the second, third, and the, and the last third of the game. Um, and, and, and those two parts of the game, the middle and the end, um, especially the end, um, probably some of my favorite moments in gaming ever. Um, it's it's easily one of my favorite endings of a game ever. So I won't talk about that in this section. I'll wait till the spoilers to talk about it. Um yeah, this game really pulled me in, um has absolutely enamored me. Um brought me into the fold. I I'm, I'm a Plague Tale fan now. I, I, and um and and it's just it's so good. Um I, I understand I I've seen people talk about like they don't like the movement, they don't like some of the combat and stuff like that. Um I totally get it. Um the the, the game probably isn't for everyone. Um it it probably isn't uh I, I think I have let the story definitely um, overshadow some of the gameplay and the optimization issues. But that, at least from me, should tell you just how, how good I think the story is and stuff. I've even seen people complain about the story. I've seen people say it's um, predictable. I've seen people say that uh, the, there are times where things happen in the story where you kind of like cringe or kind of like roll your eyes, like, you know, the, the characters are only doing things to move the story along or to create conflict. Absolutely. It, that, that is, that is a fact. That's, that's, that's what happens. I'm saying I don't care because um, more than anything, the connection between Amicia and Hugo, um, Amicia is your, the protagonist that you play as for most of the game and then hugo's her little brother who um is kind of the what the whole story is based around um and that he's sick and they're trying to figure out a way to get him better and um it just was a very excellent game and without getting into spoilers i will i will leave it at that so uh right about now i will insert a frame uh a little clip to say hey uh you know, I'm going to talk about spoilers for this long. Skip ahead if you don't want to hear them. Hey, what's up? This is Bond from the future. I talk about the spoilers of A Plague Tale Requiem for 10 minutes. So if you skip 10 minutes, you should be all in the clear. Okay, bye. Okay, so spoiler time. Last warning spoilers. So the reason, the especially the last third and the last hour even of this game... Just completely pulled me in was um i felt like they did a really really excellent job of, of really hammering in this relationship between amicia um, the character you play as and her little brother now the the, the a very very quick synopsis of, of what's going on is hugo the little brother has this disease and the disease um is basically um it it, it's 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 supposed to be referencing the plague okay and so um the 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 plague was supposedly spread by rats and things like that so there's all this lore about that and um the way it's portrayed in the game is it's exaggerated heavily so uh, just like the first game you have these like um, thousands of rats that will come into the world. Um, they're afraid of light, though. So if it's daytime, like if there's sunshine, they won't go there. If there's firelight, so if it's a torch or a uh, like a campfire set up, they they won't go with that. And that's a big mechanic in the game. You can use it for and against yourself, right? And so uh, another part of the game is that Hugo, the little brother, through his disease, can't control the rats um in some circumstances and what you find and what the story is trying to tell you as it goes on is that Hugo isn't the first little boy to be infected with this disease. The disease is directly correlated to the rats and the plague and um, that there was a boy before him and, 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 and that boy is the reason it's happening and that Hugo may uh, be the next boy. Uh, And and towards the end of the story, or actually really in the middle of the story, you find out that um, Hugo's been having these dreams and he wants to go to this island. So you escape this awful stuff that's happening at the beginning of the game. You find someone who will take you to this island uh, and he thinks this island is where he's going to have a cure. Uh, You find as the game goes on that Hugo is connected to the previous infected child through memories, probably through the disease and um you actually find this like fortress way deep in the ground that they tried to build on this island to basically imprison the boy to try to keep his disease from ending the world well they failed um and part of what you find during uh discovering all this is that that little boy had his own protector uh, much like amicia protects hugo um, but she failed she um uh you you end up figuring out that she killed you know literally probably dozens if not hundreds of guards trying to get to this place where they imprisoned the previous infected boy um, and you find her core you find her skeleton and this is a big moment for them because amicia now figures out like like they figure out that there there is no cure on this island they thought there would be there isn't um but she starts to think like oh if that previous boy hadn't been taken away from his protector if he had felt safe and at home he may not have gone as far as to unleash this plague on everyone with his powers and so if she can stay with hugo she can keep him from making the same mistake so then obviously as the game goes on um hugo gets kidnapped by this guy who wants to use his powers to dominate the world uh, as one does and um, and also convinces Hugo that his sister has been killed during this kidnapping attempt, um, or at least that's the implication. Uh, so on the island, uh, Hugo goes nuclear, um, falls completely into the disease and has there's this I really can't describe it, but the imagery of, of, of him going all out and being completely consumed by the disease. And essentially, I mean. Like literally millions, if not billions, of rats in these waves on this island. Everything's being destroyed. And what happens is Amicia is trying to get to him. Because she feels like if she can get to Hugo, she can calm him down. And she can be what the previous protector of the previous child couldn't be. And she could save him. And um, it's just towards the end, you get to this moment where... You're pretty sure you're in her head. You're not in the actual world anymore. Um, And he's communicating her little brother to her through whatever means he is. And he's basically giving her these trials to show her like hey you have to do things different because throughout the whole game she's all about vengeance and she kills everyone she can and the people who are with her kind of say like hey like you don't have to kill everyone we can sneak around and you don't have to you can kill everything And, and they like tell you about it and it gets to this point where she sees hugo again and i'm fairly certain this is supposed to be like in her head but they embrace and they they walk through this kind of dreamscape where it recounts a bunch of the people and the places you met during the story. Um, and then he goes away. And then she comes back to the real world. Um, but he's still talking to her. And she's still trying to find him at the middle of this big monstrosity of this. It's crazy. You just have to play the game to fully understand. Um, but she tells him, or, or he tells her, Hugo does. He's like, you know what you have to do to stop this i'm not even here hardly anymore like i'm 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 gone and to stop this the world ending you have to kill me and like it's just rough but um i i don't think that my description of what i just said it, it doesn't mean anything unless you play through the whole game so even if you've listened to this and been spoiled i still think if you play the game you see their relationship how close they are you see um during the whole game, the the Hugo, the little boy, um, even though he's very sick and he's having all these issues, and all this terrible stuff is happening around him, all the time, he still stops and points out how beautiful that flower is, or how nice this person was, or how pretty something is, or how excited he is for something, and you know, having a kid who's only a couple years younger, like you, they did such a good job of um, really expressing Hugo's. Um, the fact that like, and you see this with kids. I think this whole story is uh, an allegory or whatever for like childhood, like terminal cancer, and how when you, um, if you, if you've ever known people in that situation. Or you know, but you always see these stories about these kids who are like, terribly sick, but they're still just kids. They just want to be kids. They they, they don't want to be the kid hooked up to machines. They don't want to be the kid who's dying. They just want to be a kid, and they really portrayed that well, I think, in this game. Um, that which only made the indie more heartbreaking and harder to take because you there's parts of the game where you're like, oh okay, we're gonna we're gonna find a cure and Hugo's gonna live, and then uh, especially. That there comes, There's there's a line that if I play the game again, which I will one day, it's going to hit me so hard. But there's a line where uh, Amicia and Hugo are just walking and he goes, you know, it's OK if I die. And it's just like, oh, and that sh- that's obviously in hindsight, some pretty blatant foreshadowing. And she goes, no, no, we're going to we'll find a way to save you. We'll find a way to help you. Um, and that's even the thing that happens at the very end. When Hugo tells Amicia, when he's gone, he's become part of this monster um, in her head. He tells her, "Like you can kill me." He, he says it. He's like, "You know, I love you, and you you made me happy. I was happy when I was with you, but it's too late. Like it's this has gone too far. It can't be reversed now." And it's just like, man, like I just even if you've listened to these spoilers, I still really suggest you at least go try it, and I suggest at least trying to get to the island. If you haven't played, you don't know what that means, but get to the island, and then if and if and if it doesn't catch you after you do some stuff there, then fine. But, I mean, this this game, the ending is right up there to me with the Red Dead games, which I love those endings. They're so heartbreaking in their own way. Um, right up there with, uh, man, um, the Mass Effect games, uh, for sure, uh, definitely in there. Um, just just so good and just so heartbreaking uh and there is an epilogue that's really good you should play it it's actually what made me like break down when i was playing the game i was devastated by the end of the game uh and i was definitely very emotional but the epilogue like had me balling um and it was it was because they did a good job of reinforcing what had happened uh but also kind of setting a path forward. Um, And they also, there's actually an after-the-credits scene that definitely suggests they're making a third game, and that it may be set in modern times, which is really interesting. So so there's that. So there's my ranting and review of A Plague Tale Requiem. Uh, Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Xbox Game Pass. Um, It is making money. Uh, So this week, uh, Phil Spencer spoke at a a conference or something and talked a whole bunch about game pass more so than we had ever heard before. He talked about how the revenue makes up about 15% of Xbox's revenue, uh, which isn't as as much as people would have thought Um it, it, it was like a little surprising um but it, i mean that's you know it, it, it's a company, it's a it's a part of it's a division that makes billions and billions of dollars so it's still a ton of money um but easily the biggest news from it was that um There's been debates uh, for months, uh, years at this point, whether or not Xbox Game Pass could ever be profitable. Um, You have to keep in mind that when games come to Xbox Game Pass, depending on whether they're exclusive, whether they're day one, you know, all of these little things, Xbox pays for that. And sometimes they invest heavily into these games being made and basically will give the especially indie devs enough money to cover the development of the game. Uh, and, and then, you know, they go from there. So it's, uh, especially for indie games, like I'm sure a Plague Tale, Requiem, uh, games like, um, oh, I'm trying to think what some of the other ones were. Of course I, I won't be able to while I'm th- sitting here thinking, but, um, anything that you've seen basically depending on how it gets to uh, game pass, they have to spend a lot of money on it. Um, And even just for games ongoing, even if they don't come day one and stuff or exclusive, they still have to pay for the licensing of those games for people to download them as part of the subscription. So with all of that, finding out that it's already um, making money is a, a really big deal. And also finding out that, you know, especially because Game Pass is extremely good. I love having it. It's worth every penny to me. But they haven't even put out like a bunch of really good exclusive games yet. They've had Forza, they've had Halo and some other games. Um, you know, and those games have been good, but like, you know, they've also delayed, you know, five times as many games. So like even in 2023, we're looking at Starfield, Redfall, maybe Hellblade and uh saga, um a bunch of games that if they're very good or even if they're just like a decent um it's going to make the value of game pass way more than it is now and will very likely push people even you know more likely to want game pass because during the talk, Phil Spencer even said, "Like, hey, like, you know, we don't really know if Game Pass will ever be more of the of our profits than this, of of our revenue. That's fifteen percent may just be where it's at." Because he said, "You know, basically, we're at a point where we we feel like basically everyone who has an Xbox and wants Game Pass is getting it." Now on the PC side, they had like eighty percent growth or something, or it was one hundred and fifty. They had a, a lot of growth on the PC side of things, um, and because the PC Game Pass is great too, so um it's it's really interesting it's been interesting seeing people try to spin this as a negative thing and stuff like that this seems really good and i think it's only going to be better for xbox as they um uh, as they release more games that are more desirable that will only be on xbox especially if the blizzard activision deal goes through so we'll have to wait and see uh, Ubisoft put out their financial report um, there was a bunch of stuff in it obviously as there always is and will be the big takeaway was um, for if, if you're a if you're a Rainbow Six or the Division fan is to know that there was a big section in there um, talking about the future um, of, of how they want to kind of treat their big franchises um, I read through it myself, but I also did watch a video by Rogue Gold, who's a big, um, the division creator. So I highly suggest you go check out his channel and check his video for way more detail that I'm going to give. But essentially what the report states is that the way that they just, I think about a month ago, did a big Assassin's Creed showcase where they showed the future of Assassin's Creed probably for the next like five or six years. Um, they want to try to invest in their three biggest franchises like that. So Assassin's Creed, and then they specifically name Rainbow Six and The Division. So if you've heard me rant about The Division and things like that, I've felt like Ubisoft doesn't give it the respect it deserves because I think it absolutely is one of their biggest franchises, or it should be. And this financial report seems to back that up. Um, So what that means. So Rainbow Six, when they mention that, what you need to keep in mind is the way that they showed off that Assassin's Creed thing was a whole bunch of games, not just the next one, right? And so my guess is that for like Rainbow Six, obviously I'm sure Siege is going to keep going. I don't foresee a Siege 2 or anything like that. But I also wouldn't be surprised at all if we get some more Rainbow Six experiences. Now, Extraction, uh, the mode they put out you know, earlier this year, I think was pretty bad i don't think it was very good um and i I have to imagine it's not very popular they're still putting out content for it because one thing ubisoft does well is they support their games even if there's like 15 people playing them um here's looking at you roller champions um but um the, the division being mentioned in this is, is exciting because we know, and they've kind of alluded to this, like the division universe thing going on. We know that there's more division two content coming, that there's a year five coming, even though I think it's kind of hard to be super excited because year four is, it's got some good story stuff, but it's kind of lackluster and it's been kind of rough, but we know there's a year five. We know that heartland is coming. Eventually we know resurgence. The mobile game is coming probably fairly soon. And I wouldn't be surprised at all. If, uh, the movie that everyone keeps talking about, I would be surprised if that happens, but it probably, it probably will. Um, but I think that division three is 100% in the works. Um, literally probably not even the concept stages uh i can't imagine they have many devs available to do it right now it could be in pre-production but i kind of doubt it i bet it's at least an idea and a thing they're going to do um i just don't see any big moves happening on it until um the star wars game is done which will be a couple years from now probably because again if you don't know the star wars team the ubisoft massive star wars game is being worked on by like a majority of the division team. Um, There's obviously still people working on the division. Some of them were from the old division team, but a lot of them weren't. And they are hiring to try to fill their own team just to work on division two. So I would be surprised if I think division three happens. I think that's part of the strategy that they talked about in this financial report, but I wouldn't count on it soon. It's probably five or six years away. Is what I would honestly guess. We'll see. Maybe not. I could be wrong. Okay. Uh, the Last of Us Two voice actor is willing to come back. So the voice act uh, the voice actor for Abby, um, who is one of the new characters to the series uh, has, has said that despite all the drama, she's willing to come back. Um, I'm not a big Sony fan. Um, I love the last of us too, though, from just watching gameplay and, and learning about the story and the lore and watching all the summary videos and stuff like that. Um, that controversy was so weird. It was so funny to me that people, you know, a bunch of weird gamers got real weird about that game but what's so funny to me is they, they didn't get that mad about the protagonist ended up being gay. They didn't get that mad about a bunch of other stuff. They, they focused all of their ire on a straight white lady who has some muscles and there's a, there's reason for it. It's not like it's just random. I, I will never understand the reaction to that game. It seems like a really, really good game to me. Um, It honestly seems like more than I really want to deal with. It's very rough. It's very graphic. Um, But I, I think this is cool. I'm glad that the experience that that voice actor had wasn't so negative. They didn't want to come back. I think with all of the negativity around games and maybe just in general in the world, what I think people, I hope, are starting to realize is that very often that toxicity and stuff comes from like 1% of people. Um, and it may be loud and it may be prolific and it may be ongoing and it may be really bad, but I, th- I think that people are starting to realize that they can kind of kind of ignore it or kind of push back on it and be like, Hey, okay, whatever, like shut up. <laughs> um, and I hope that's the case here. Um, I absolutely think we see a last of us part three um, knowing how two ended, I think it could be really cool. Um, and by then maybe I'll own a PlayStation and I can play it. Um, but I'm, I think this is good news. I'm glad I'm happy to see it. Uh, we found out this week that uh, fallout four is getting a next gen upgrade. Um, this kind of surprising to me, it's quite late for that. Um, but okay. I know a lot of people don't like fallout four. Um, this upgrade is going to include things uh like new textures uh better uh, optimization things like that um i think fallout 4 is really good it definitely lacks in some places where new vegas and even fallout 3 kind of excelled um more than it did but it also pushed some things forward and i think it was a a half step to the next gen graphically and stuff like that but it was better in a lot of ways And it tells a cool story with a lot of options and ways to do things. Um, Again, it's not perfect. It's not my favorite Fallout game. But it's definitely a game I like. And I'm glad it was made. And I think it's cool they're doing a next-gen upgrade. We'll see if I play it. I actually did play it on my Xbox, uh, I think, last year. uh, And played through a lot of the story again. And this is cool. I'm sure I'll check it out uh the callisto protocol is being banned from sale in japan Uh, So apparently Japan has some pretty strict rules. Um, Some of the Southeast Asian countries have some interesting rules with like uh, morality stuff. So I I believe it's in like China. You can't have like skeletons in your game for like religious reasons and kind of cultural reasons. Um, I I, I believe there's some rules like that in Japan as well. Um, And what the developers of Callista Protocol basically said is like with bigger game devs, Japan pushes back, says, hey, take this stuff out. Uh, an EA and Ubisoft, uh, you know, these big publishers and developers can just be like, OK, whatever, we'll do it. Or they they take that into account at first. Um, the, you know, the Callisto protocol is being made by an indie dev, even though it's a really good one. And they just basically are saying, like, OK, like we aren't going to fix it. So it's just not going to happen. Um, now, I did read a little bit and found that it's a little more complicated than that, that I believe there's no region lock for the japanese area so they'll be able to buy copies from surrounding areas and be able to play it and so it's not like it's going to be impossible to play in japan it's just going to be more difficult than it probably should be but i thought that was kind of an interesting little story Uh, another interesting story is uh, age of empires 2 and 4 are coming to xbox next year in 2023 so apparently they've been doing a bunch of testing and a bunch of work to figure out how to, uh, be able to play age of empires two and four, uh, which are real time strategy games on the Xbox, this isn't completely unheard of games like halo wars uh, are known for being real time strategy games that play extremely well on consoles. Uh, the reason it's difficult, if you don't know what a real time strategy game is, uh, the, it, it's the, it's a type of game that you have like a God view. And it involves a lot of really um, detailed selecting and um, movement of groups of uh, soldiers and, uh, and, 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 and characters that is hard to do with a mouse, let alone a controller. Um, so I'm really curious to see how they handle it and how people receive it and um, how popular it, it even is, really. Um, but I bet it'll be more popular than people think. Okay, so we'll get into a couple games that came out this week. Um the first one was Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. Now last week I talked about the campaign. I finished it up. It was the Call of Duty campaign, but I had a lot of fun with it. It had tons of highs, not very many lows. There are a few parts of it I didn't love, but I'll leave that out for uh spoiler reasons. Um but I do want to talk about the multiplayer. So today I've played Probably a little too much of the multiplayer when I maybe should have been doing other stuff. Um, but I really, um, I'm really enjoying it. You know, it has the drop shotters, it has the bunny hoppers around the corner stuff that's annoying. Um, they did get rid of things like slide canceling and stuff like that, so it seems like they are trying to make it a little more fun for the people like me who want like a A less arcadey experience but that stuff is still there but you can still have fun even if you don't want to mess with that stuff um i've really enjoyed it um the single player campaign got the initial metacritic reviews it's like a 65 or something like that it's or 75 maybe i don't think that's deserved I, i think the story is at least like a seven or a seven and a half it's like 70 or 75 um i have to imagine that the completed reviews that take into account the multiplayer as well it really needs to be above 80 the call of duty modern warfare 2 is a very good game um i really hated how many outlets kind of took like took their shot at you know to kind of i just like 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 ign gave gave the campaign a 6 out of 10 i read the review i understand why the person reviewed it at that but that really kind of gets to a point where it's like It kind of feels like you guys had someone review this who didn't want to like it and then they didn't like it and so i don't think that you have to give like the review to a fanboy who's going to give it a 10 out of 10 but i think that you should maybe give the review to someone who doesn't seem like they like wanted to not like it before they even got in that's the interpretation i took but it is what it is but call of duty modern warfare 2 i really have enjoyed it it's i will probably play it quite a bit the same the multiplayer I'll rank up a good amount, and then when that um, the DMZ mode comes out in Warzone, when those come out, I'll probably shift over to those, Um, but I'll I'll try to stick with the multiplayer longer with this game than I did uh, the last one. Uh, Bayonetta 3, after all of its controversy, came out, and it uh, has a Metacritic score of 88, Uh, so it's putting itself right up there with some of the best games of the year, Um. I, all the reviews i've seen is that it's a wonderfully creative, wonderfully voiced and written and just a super fun game to play um but that the switch is holding it back big big time um and it's a that's a major bummer. I bet if this was on PS5 or Series X and was able to take advantage of that hardware, i bet this game would be in the mid 90s from the reviews i've i've read and watched I bet this game would be at least above 90 in the metacritic score if it wasn't being held back by the switch i mean the switch the switch was outdated when it came out the switch is basically like a really outdated tablet at this point um and the developers do a good job of pulling everything they can out of it but i i see people all the time being like why haven't they released like a switch pro that's more powerful I will tell you exactly why you should go look at the NPD numbers. You should see how many switches are being sold every month. Still, they are selling them like crazy. And until people stop buying them, they aren't going to, I'm sure I bet they've probably had at least the idea to do a switch pro for years, but why would they do that? Why would they put out new hardware when the old hardware still sells better than like the Xbox series X and the PS five? If, if your old hardware is still competing with them, why? Why would you, um, from a financial standpoint? So, um, but yeah, Bayonetta 3 seems like it's really, really great, despite all the controversy and that Helena Taylor has dug herself quite a hole. I was willing to give her the benefit of the doubt for a long time, and even I'm off-board at this point, um, I'm glad the game got through all that silliness and, uh, came out to critical um, love uh, the last game here that came out was gotham Knights. it got it has a 69 metacritic score it basically just seems like it was just a big flop um it, it, a lot of people are talking about how it's a game that came out in 2022 that is worse than the last gotham the last batman game that came out like eight years ago on like the last gen like the last last gen and um it just seems like it it was a game that it kind of reminds me of battlefield 2042 where it seems like they intended for it to be a live service game. And then something happened. I think probably Marvel Avengers happened and they, they pulled the plug on that, but the game was designed from the ground up to be live service. So you can't really pull all those elements out. So you do the best you can. And what you're left with is a graphically unimpressive game with an okay story. um, That is a shell of itself and on top of that had major performance issues on the series x and ps5 it only runs at 30 fps and it doesn't do it consistently and it was supposed to be a cross-gen game like this game was designed to work on the xbox one and ps4 and then they cut those out and then they can't even get it to run well in the new systems that's not a new system problem that's a problem with gotham knights and I'm willing to bet that in the next few months, they'll probably put out a performance mode that does in, in, improve at least the frames, maybe at, at a lower resolution. But it, it's just a swing in the mess, unfortunately. And, uh, and, and that happens sometimes. Okay, so let's get into the listener questions part of the show. If you have any gaming related questions, topics, or news, please jump into our Discord to post them for the next episode of the podcast. You can also tweet it to me or tag me in tweets on Twitter uh, if you want me to cover some specific news. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Bon Diesel. Uh, the first set of questions comes from Source Rage 17. Uh, if they were to do another sizable dlc to the division two like warlords of new york what where and who direction would you like to see it go city faction etc um i almost don't want to speculate on it because i think this is just definitely not going to happen if they were to do it and they were going to pick and they were going to do another warlords type thing i think considering the way the story is and like in the division 2 at this point um i think like a boston uh, or a philadelphia would be interesting um i wouldn't want to go too far west necessarily um because i want division 3 to take place in chicago but if you learn, if you, if you catch all the lore about the Black Tusk and stuff, you'll know that they've been taking over like basically big cities um, to try to take control of their fuel stores um, because obviously uh, gasoline and diesel is not being made. Uh, at this point in the outbreak more than likely and so um, in order for the Black Tusk who's very technologically advanced um, faction that needs fuel for their vehicles and generators and stuff like that um, I I think uh, if if they tried to spread the story out to Philly or Boston um, I think those would be pretty cool I think those would make sense um, as a place for locations of like real high up Black Tusk operatives or something like that I think that'd be pretty dope so, um, when it comes to let's see, factions stuff like that, I, I don't know. I, I'm not gonna speculate on that because I'd be here all day trying to think of stuff. Uh, in, in Boston, they can have what like the Minutemen or something. Uh, if you read the comics in the books, they actually have created lore for other cities of what the factions in those cities call themselves and and their kind of unique spin on why they came to power and stuff like that. Some of that stuff is really cool. Uh, the second question from source rage is when just chilling and wanting to play some games everyone has a relaxing chill game mine for example would be city skylines uh what games uh game or games would you uh, be your go-to relaxing uh, brain shut off game um so for me it would probably be like age of empires it would probably be like apex legends just something I can just get in and just play and not think too much about it um mass effect to a point at at this point um, I, I know that game so much forward and back that it, I'm, I'm not like on the edge of my seat anymore when i play it so it's just like a it's like a home cooking game for me uh, but those would probably be the big ones I find myself going to um, the division can have those moments where I just load it up and and, and knock out some control points um, but yeah so uh, I I get it. I understand what you're saying. And thank you for the questions. Uh, Master Prime had a few questions. The first one is, uh, do you think the Series S is a dead weight for the ne- for the new generation? Um, probably in some ways. Um, my main issue is something I saw pointed out a lot with the Gotham Knights thing. A Rocksteady dev uh, said and then deleted a, a tweet that, all uh, oh, the Series S is holding everything back and blah, blah, blah. My pushback on that is that all of these games coming out right now are, are specking the low end of their PC specs way below the Series S. And so I won't really believe that that's the problem until you start to see the minimum specs for PC start to climb above the Series S power. Um, people don't realize that if, if you're making a game that's going to go on PC, uh, I, I talked about, it, I think last week, that the top like four or five cards on Steam when they do their their hardware survey are like really old super underpowered cards and, that, and it makes up like 25 to 30% of of PC gamers that have these like like 1660s and stuff like that so i i don't really see um i don't think the series s is as big of a, a dud or a, or a dead weight as some people think it is um let's see your second question which game has the best gunplay it's tarkov tarkov just has such good gunplay obviously call of duty and stuff like that um, is great um, i think battlefield 2042 actually has really good gunplay but escape from tarkov especially for a pc game it's just the best i have problems with that game i don't love everything about it but it's got extremely good gunplay for sure Uh, then have I played sunset overdrive? I have not played the legendary sunset overdrive though. I will forever be sad that, uh, Sony acquired that studio instead of Xbox because they are making some of the best games ever now. And, um, and man, Xbox really could have really could have used that. I think. Okay, so for the polls, um, I did I, I had one I ran one uh, talking about the 60 Fps with the Gotham Knights and kind of that whole thing, and I said, what is the minimum resolution you'll play games at to get at least 60 Fps?" Uh, the selections were 4K, uh, 2160p, 2K, 1440p, 1080p or dynamic resolution. Uh, and the results were uh, in first was 1080p at 44 percent second was 2k or 1440p which is 37.3 percent and then 4k at 10 percent and dynamic resolution at eight that's surprising but heartening to me because um, as this generation goes on we're going to see even like what we saw saw with the plague tale requiem is that because it's only 30 fps we're going to see that there's going to have to be a choice made and i think That you see that 80% of gamers are willing to play at 1440 or even 1080p if they can have 60fps. Um, I I think that's okay. I I think that there's been... I feel like 4K turned into such a buzzword. And it is cool. It looks great. But if it hurts the gaming experience, I think you're going to see people be more than happy to play at lower resolutions. If they can get those frames. Now you are going to have tech like FSR and you know, things like what Nvidia has, uh, be able to use some other methods to keep high resolution resolution and get good frames. But, and that's probably the future in a lot of ways, but this generation of consoles, we're probably going to see a dip in resolution because once you hit 60 fps once you play it it's hard to go back it, it, it just is so okay so for some content updates the mass effect giveaway is still going check out um, at bond diesel and at the echo cast on twitter i'm giving away like 300 worth of mass effect merch please get in there and enter that uh, giveaway will end on in, in seven day at noon eastern time um Benny Fitz, if you look up uh, at Benefits uh, or look him up on Twitch, he's a streamer. Um, he has a really cool deal. He uses like a puppet and he plays games at the same time. Really, really good dude. Um, his house burnt down. So if you can please um, seek him out. Uh, and, and, and maybe if you can donate some money to his GoFundMe, that would be super, super cool. And I would very much appreciate it. Uh, and then finally, the changes to the podcast. Um, if you didn't notice, I, I am, even though I talked about both of the games this week, I'm not going to do the Mass Effect and the Division 2 section of the podcast anymore. I'm forcing myself to talk about the Division, and I just don't care. Uh, unless there's news, I, I don't want to make stuff up to talk about. And similar with Mass Effect, I think Mass Effect will have stuff to talk about plenty uh, over the next few years, uh, just maybe not every week, and I don't want to force it. So, um, that is also going to go away as well as the, uh, the, 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 ad I was doing in the middle for Patreon and people will support if they want to, that, that, ad, that ad's not going to make a difference. Um, my, my attempt with those, the division two and mass effect things was to try to not just, not just to be a general gaming news podcast, um, and to still try to cater directly to those communities, but it just, it didn't seem to work. It didn't do what I wanted and I didn't like doing it. So. That's where we're going for now. And we're also going to start wrapping this thing up. So uh, thank you so much for listening and thank you so much for watching. I really do appreciate it. Um, This is a fun hobby for me, but I do take it very seriously. And I really do appreciate people giving me their time, Um, even if it's while they drive to work or while they're at work or while they are trying to fall asleep and they want to hear me bore them to death. Um, I do appreciate you listening. Uh, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're on Spotify or iTunes, please rate the podcast. If you're on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel, like the video and comment down below. Even if it's just to help the algorithm, you can find me all over the internet as Bond Diesel, including on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and over on Twitch. If you're interested in supporting the show or my other content, uh, as well as getting some perks, please check out patreon.com slash bond diesel or Use your Twitch Prime sub over at twitch.tv slash bondiesel. I would very much appreciate it. That is all I have. So until next time. (laughs) I'm going to go